Financial mistakes. We all make them. Show me someone who hasn't made a financial mistake, and I will show you Rex Baxter here in just a minute. Uh, <laughs> welcome to a financial planning podcast with the down to earth vibe. Sasquatch listens while stomping out forest fires. This is Through the Pines. Now, on Through the Pines are our financial wizards extraordinaire. Rex up first. Rex. And Dan here as well. And then we have Brandon in studio. Brandon with the Y uh, and two cameras. Why? I don't know. So let's let's cover some financial mistakes, shall we? And I just want to say I'm good at them. Uh, don't save. Um, add, <laughs> get as much debt as you can as fast as you can. Um, and invest in FTX. Uh, Rex, where did I go wrong? <laughs> A, B, or C. A, Pick B, or one. C. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so yeah. What, what are some of the mistakes outside of those, like, you know, the obvious ones that we know that we know we should be doing, but we just, and we'll talk about that in a minute because there's some psychology there that's like, well, we know this is bad and we do it anyway, but that's different. Then, But what are some of the financial mistakes that people make in, in general that you've seen over the years, Rex? Thank you for having us on your show. Yes. And why don't, and please introduce yourself just a little bit, right? And just so people have some context, this isn't like your first year as being a financial advisor. <laughs> this is not my first year. This is my 25th year mm. of being a financial advisor. And our team just received an award recently mm. of being the number two on Advisor Hub's fastest ad, uh, growing advisors to watch list. Yeah. In it means you guys run fast. Mostly. I, I'm fairly confident it does not mean run fast. Okay, gotcha. Um, gotcha. Okay. And so if that was a funny running contest, we Ooh. might be number one. But, um, <laughs> but no. So I, we thought this would be a really fun podcast to do, and I could be mistaken. And, and maybe, you know, hopefully we don't make everybody feel bad. The nice thing is that there's very few mistakes that we've seen that can't be you know, either corrected or course corrected or recovered from or, or something along those lines. And everybody makes mistakes, right? And, and it's okay. It's about who catches it the quickest, who makes the, the quickest course corrections and who quits making the mistake, who doesn't repeat it. Is, so you, is kind you've of had trick. people who called you or, or come into your office or something and they told you their situation and you said you did what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we do a lot nicer. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, tell me about that. Yeah, I want to know about that. Like, what did they do without naming names and all that kind of stuff? But, like, what is stuff that you've heard that you're like, I can't believe. I can't believe they just did that. And I, and I think we talked about something earlier where you said, it, and, may, and I, maybe this is on the list. I'm going out of order here, where someone retired and they have access to their retirement funds and they're like, Hey, I bought, I just went out and bought a brand new car and I bought this, this, this. So all that stuff's taken care of now, Rex, tell me what to do with my money. Yeah. 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 They'd spent like 60% of it. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. because they went out and thought that it was the smartest thing in the world to go do on day one of retirement. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then, it's, it's always interesting. You know, people that probably the most common or one of the most common that we see after the fact is is people taking money out of their their retirement plans early 
and paying the the ten percent IRS penalty, and and not really looking at uh, you know what other methods there are to to try and achieve what they're doing. But that's probably one of the ones that we see so frequently. It's crazy. And and the car one. I, this gets back to being an advisor, right? We're on your side. We're not, we're not, if you want to do something that maybe doesn't make the most sense financially, we're, we're right there with you. As long as you understand the decision. And I mean, the car one, right? Like so your job is to educate them. Like, Hey, right. I wouldn't recommend this, but right. And, and you I, do think, you. Yeah. I, I think the car was more of like, Hey, I don't want someone to tell me not to do this. So I'm going to do it. And then we're going to figure out how we make life work after that, which yeah. fine. But I, with the car one, it's like, if you would have just talked to us, we would have said finance it. Yeah. And then we'll, and if you want to pay it off through your, through your 401k, that's fine, but we'll do it over three years. So we don't jump your tax bracket. You're, you know, you're going to be in these lower tax brackets, your entire retirement. And we could keep it that way, but no, now we've pushed ourselves into a 22% bracket. Maybe we're paying an early penalty withdrawal penalty, um, so there, you know, we could save you ten, fifteen thousand dollars, just an extra ten, fifteen thousand dollars if we just structure it slightly differently. You still get the car, you can still get the car now, right? It might not be the best decision, but we can make that happen, but save you substantial amounts of money yeah. in the process. I'm assuming most people's mistakes are because they just don't know. Yeah. There's some like willingly make the mistake on purpose. But Dan, what's the dollar amount of the biggest mistake that you've seen made somebody make oh it's um hundreds of thousands of dollars uh yeah. frankly um yeah i think you're right and when i say uh they just don't know and, and that's one of the mistakes people make they, they think it costs a lot of money to sit down with a financial advisor and talk it doesn't it doesn't cost anything uh, with most every financial advisor i know especially our team costs nothing to sit down for an hour talk about your wishes, dreams, goals, what you're trying to accomplish. And, and then from there, uh, design a plan. So the biggest mistake I see is people don't get help. They, they don't get help when they should get help. Uh, and and if, if they would do that um, and design a plan, uh, their lives would be a little bit simpler and uh, wouldn't have to. I used to tell people, if you're, if you're in Salt Lake City and you want to go to Los Angeles, and you get on I-80 and you start heading east towards Denver, at some point in time, you've got to stop and turn around because it's not going to work if you yeah. keep driving east yeah. if you want to go to L.A. So if you make a mistake, it's better to get the help, stop, turn around and say, okay, how can I fix this uh, so that I can still achieve the goals I'm trying to achieve? And then here's me. I'm like, I'm just going to drive east until I cross oceans and then come back on the other side. You know, I'll get there. You're, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> I'll make all the mistakes. Rex, um, let's, let's pick on you because you're about as perfect as they come as a financial, making the best financial decisions in life. So getting personal, what is something you wish you maybe would have done better or different, maybe it might not be a mistake necessarily, but something that you probably wish you would have done differently with your financials in your life. You know, um, that's a great question. I wasn't anticipating that question. That's a great <laughs> question I put that on the list, right? Did you not see that? <laughs> I missed that. I missed, oh, sorry. I missed the I'm a little off script. Yeah. 
you know, I I wish I would have taken I, I wish I would have taken a few more financial risks. And this is going to sound odd coming from from me for those that know me, and from a financial advisor. But I wish I would have taken a few more financial risks in my twenties, mm. um, whether it be with investment property, whether it be with saving more and and doing more in the financial markets, things things along those lines. And so. I think if I were to to look at it, I think I would have taken a few more risks back what? then. But Is there like a, an MLM company you wish you would have invested in, or what do you mean a few more risks? No, there's not. <laughs> I mean, there probably should be some, but okay. um, but no, I'm not an MLM guy. I'm not that kind of. I don't. I don't enjoy those. That's not something that I enjoy. Um, no, I mean, I wish I. I you know, could I have bought? an additional investment property or figured out a way to buy a duplex or something like that in my twenties, probably, I probably could have figured that out had I tried a little harder. And so, you know, things like that, that, and and not that I've done poorly, I've done great. Um, But, but there's things like that, that I probably would have done a little bit differently. I'll be honest then, because while we're at it, Rex, you don't have to be the only one here. Uh, I, I invested in some real estate when I was in my early thirties, had a fourplex and a duplex. Actually it was in my late twenties. And then, um, to, cause 2008 happened and everything was bad. And I thought the best way to resolve everything was to just sort of let them go. Also went through a personal di- divorce and I thought to get them off the books and to get all that stuff just done with, I'll let them go. And man, do I regret that because I think I paid two twenty five for the fourplex and that thing's well over half worth well over half a million now easily. Right. Um, and then the duplex was, was, was in kind of a crappy place in town, but real estate goes up. It's been like 15, 20 years or whatever. So, so I really regret um, letting that go. I had it tied to a, a business like a, and so personally it hit my credit a little bit, but I sort of bumped out of that within a, within a couple of years. So the kills me today is knowing all the equity I would have had, had I been able to figure out how to hold on to those properties. Yeah. I, I and my guess is everybody has, has a few things to, to look back at, right. As far as why, well, if I knew today, what I, you know, if I knew then what I know today, I may have done, you know, these things different, but I think, I think that's where you can rely on, you know, with Dan, 40 years of experience with me, you know, with, with our team over 75 years of experience with our team, right. That we've seen, we've seen a few things um, over those 75 years of experience and, and being able to, to kind of talk you through the pros and cons, the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and understanding that at the end of the day, this is yours, your money, your decision, um, your life. And, and we get that, but we want you to make, you know, educated decisions. We want you to understand the ramifications of your choices and, and make sure that, that you're comfortable with knowing how different things may be impacted. And, and I think, I think that's important. I think a good example of that would be, you know, back in, in 2008, actually before 2008, when we had the market crash, right, we were working with some clients who had significant concentrated stock positions. And to where they have, you know, millions of dollars tied up in a single stock. And, and we're having the discussions of, should we diversify it? And, and something you'll hear me say frequently on this podcast is, 
is that, you know, concentration is the number one builder of wealth. And it was for this family. They had owned, you know, in, in this particular family, they'd owned this stock since the 30s, since the 1930s. And so it was kind of the, the thing that built it. But it's it also like vampires? Like, <laughs> they're very old. Yeah. Well, I mean, it got passed Fam down, right? Fam From oh, one generation yeah, to yeah, another. Yeah, with you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's what built the wealth for the family. And here we are talking about diversifying that, protecting that wealth for the generation and the generations to come. And all right, just to clarify, they it was li literally only one stock. Yeah, literally one stock. Okay, okay. right, one, one company, com one company, multiple one stocks of one company. Okay. Well, multiple shares, yeah, of, multiple shares of one company, right? But it's one company. Okay. And so, <clears throat> and so anyhow, so we're talking to about diversifying, and and all the reasons, and they're concerned about the tax implications of diversifying and what the cost of taxes might be. And in this case, at the time, the cost would have been roughly 15% of their gain since they had inherited it. Mm. And, and that was significant. So we met with the, with their accountant and, the, and their CPA and the CPA couldn't get past the tax impact. And so there, the CPA's advice is no, don't sell it. It's been a good company. It'll, you know, maybe it'll be a good company or not, but don't pay the taxes on this. Don't, don't ever pay the taxes. Okay. Well, so then is part of financial mistakes, uh, choosing a CPA that doesn't communicate well with your financial planner. <laughs> well, I think it's having, I, I think it is having a team of professionals around you that are going to work together, communicate well, and, and understand their core competencies. My core competency is not taxes, right? I, I understand yeah. taxes. I get taxes. Um, I pay a lot of taxes, right? All those things. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yet I'm not about to give you tax advice. I'll, I'll make sure that we're asking the right questions to an accountant and to a CPA or on the estate planning. I'll make sure that we're asking the right questions to an estate attorney I'm not going to give you legal advice. I'm not going to give you tax advice. And, and by the same token, you know, your attorney shouldn't be giving you tax advice. They shouldn't be giving you financial advice, right? They should help make sure you're asking the right questions. And, and so I think it is having a good, strong team around you. In this case, to finish the story out, 2008 happened. The stock went down 95% and to this day has never recovered. Wow. Right. What sector and, was? And so in this case, it was um, a combination of industrial and financial sectors okay. um, in this particular okay. situation. Wow. And so, you know, so, that, so that's a tough lesson to learn for somebody and one that, that they can't recover from, um, that that family will never recover from in that situation. Was that, was that so, millions, Rex, or hundreds of thousands? It was millions, multiple, millions. multiple millions. Oh, my God. That's so sad. Right. Terrible. And so, so I, I think, I think when we talk about mistakes, you know, we all, we all kind of joke about it. We all kind of, you know, tell the stories and, and things like that, but I can't underscore the importance that this is a serious topic, right? This yeah. oh, impacts yeah, people's lives. Yeah. This impacts decisions that they're going to make. And, and I think Dan's, Dan's wisdom um, that he just gave of the biggest mistake he's seen is is people not asking and coming in for advice, right? Yeah. And asking the questions of, I'm considering doing this, what do you think? And, and that's not a hard question to ask. 
so yes and then maybe i can get you guys' opinion because it's it's relevant to november 2022 and that is the ftx crash and all the red flags uh so we're talking about ftx and but that's not the first time i mean bernie madoff ran a scam as well and so are there things you know but that's there were famous people that invested with this guy um and there's it was a house of cards and it crumbled very quickly what are things that you as a financial planner, you guys as a financial planner look for when someone says, Hey, I want to invest in this company or, or in this stock or whatever that you guys can look at that you've seen over the years that you're like, yeah, I, I see red flags. Dan, is there something that you guys typically look for? Well, yeah, they should have some type of a uh, business plan. They should have some type of a track record. It shouldn't be smoke and mirrors. Uh, uh, we've all seen that over the years uh, in the late 90s when there was a lot of NASDAQ-type stocks that had never made money. In fact, many of them did not even have a business plan and they were trading on the markets before the, the turn of the century. They were trading on the markets for $100, $200 a share. And um, the, the famous words from the, I think it was the Fed chair at the time, uh, we've got irrational exuberance out there in the market. That's that's kind of happened over the years in a lot of different situations. Uh, was that the Fed's way of saying like there's there's a bunch of crap out there essentially? I'm trying to remember. Was it the Fed chair Rex? Uh, it the- was. It was Alan Greenspan, if I remember right, and and it was a famous irrational exuberance comment at the end of '99, mm. um, right before the dot com bubble bursted in 2000 and and essentially it was commenting because literally in in 1999 98 if you put dot com after your stock's name uh-huh. then it would almost go up you know three four five ten fold right i mean i very, put a lot of money in rex.com i didn't make it <laughs> solid <laughs> investment <laughs> Yeah. Well, but this stuff happens over time, over and over again, Dan, you've been in the business long enough. You've seen this happen multiple times. What are some of those red flags? You said a business plan. I don't know how, is that public? Like how do people just pull up business plans? Well, yeah, a public company has to put together a business plan and and they have to have a CFO. Nowadays we have all kinds of, uh, uh, public companies have all kinds of uh, rules and regulations that they have to follow in order to, but the key to the whole thing is you don't put all of your money in one particular stock. Okay. Like Chris was saying before, even if it's a great blue chip company, which in this case probably it was, uh, you still don't do that. You, you still try and diversify your portfolio and put it in uh, different sectors of the market, uh, whether it's large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, uh, maybe some bonds, you know, you just have to diversify. And that, you only get that if you have the help of, a, of an advisor uh, and it, they put together a plan for you to follow. So have you had clients that come to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about investing in A or B and you it, it, it threw up some red flags for you or you're like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have a really well, uh, well-known uh, person in my hometown uh, that was offering uh, 
way back when, uh, when interest rates were three and four and five percent, was offering 10 percent return on their money. And um, I kept saying to a lot of my friends, a lot of my parents' friends that would come to me and say, hey, this is free money. I'm going to go over here and do this. And I would say, you know, there's something wrong with that. If, 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 it, was, if, if, if it was easy to do that, everybody would be offering 10%. And a lot of people in my hometown lost a lot of money. We've all seen those types of things in, in our business, unfortunately. And it gives, it gives everybody a bad taste in their mouth, you know, because, because that's not right. You should be able to trust your advisor uh, with, with everything that you do financially. Yeah. Rex, how do you build trust with clients so that they understand and realize that uh, you as a professional, you know, it, it's in your best interest to make sure that they don't lose money necessarily. They don't make bad investments. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I think trust is built over time, right? It's lost in an instant, but trust is built over time. And I think it takes those relationships some time to develop and for that trust to be established. Now, now, a lot of times we're getting clients from a referral, right? That, that somebody says, hey, will you work with my mom and dad? Or will you work with my business partner? And then there's some implied trust, right? That kind of transfers over to you because you've worked with somebody that they know and trust. And then you start that relationship and it starts out with some trust, but still, you still have to build that over time. And, and at the end of the day, you need to say what you're going to do and then do what you're going to say and follow through and, and be authentic and be honest and, and upfront and, and then, and then make sure that you're, you know, you're ethical and you have high integrity and, and all those other attributes that make for a good financial advisor, but boy, it can be destroyed in an instant and, and then it can't be rebuilt. And so, you know, when, when you talk about trust and you talk about building those relationships for our team, that is critical. And we understand, you know, how quickly that can be destroyed and that we are dealing with people's lives and people's money. And, and these are, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's just so important. One way you can check, I know Brandon had put that in there, but in the financial advisory world, there's a, a lot of different regulators. And so, you know, we get watched by, by many different government entities and, and reported upon. And so some of those is like FINRA, uh, which is one of our regulators. And, and they have a, a site called brokercheck.com where you can look up a financial advisor and, and see if there's any regulatory issues or see if there's okay. anything right. on there that, that needs attention. Sorry, brokercheck.org, I believe. Is oh, it? you're right. You're right. Sorry about that. You're right, Brandon. Broker, what did I say? Dot com? Broker, yeah. Because we were talking about dot com. Dot com. <laughs> right. Right. So Rex, and, and I keep going to this FTX thing just because it's new and it's, it's in the news, but um, why, how did that, because you're so, there, like you said, there's so much scrutiny in your industry. How did that survive for so, is that because it was in the crypto space? Like why, why did no one uh, call, call that into question sooner? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know the specifics of the FTX case. I mean, I know, you know, kind of some of the fallout and things like that. My, my guess is that part of it is that, that cryptocurrencies are not highly regulated and, and the trading platforms that they trade on are not highly regulated platforms yet. 
and they're getting there. And this this will probably be the impetus to to put through a lot of regulation. And and so that you know we'll we'll see what the fallout is. But but I think that's that's a big part of it is that it's exciting, it's new, you know, and, and everybody wants a piece of the crypto market. And and there's a lot of risk there. And I'm not sure people understand how risky it is. And maybe this will open up some of those eyes that that help people understand, you know, just how risky these unregulated markets are. Yeah, they just saw people making a lot of money and wanted in on it. And so and now there's billions that may be gone for forever. Um, Brandon, you uh, have on your notes here, and thank you so much for putting some of these notes together, uh, that social security, there's social security mistakes. And so it says, what, is it really that traitorous? Well, that's a strong word. Uh, <laughs> that was supposed to be treacherous? Treacherous. Oh, treacherous. Treacherous. Yeah. What are some like social security mistakes? And so how do you screw that up? Because isn't that sort of automatic? No. Okay. No, it's not. And and so we're going to take on this podcast, go through each rule of, so, just kidding. <laughs> the, <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. It, it's so, it's, there's so many things. So we're not, obviously we won't have time to go through all of them um, or even brush the surface. But one of the main ones I've seen with social security is people don't understand the spousal benefit. And on, on more than one occasion, I've, I've seen where, you know, one spouse has, has worked, the other one has stayed at home and, and, you know, worked hard, but not ever had an income. And so they just assume, well, I've never had an income. I've never paid into social security. Therefore, I don't get a social security benefit. But that's not the case. You, you, you know, depending on marital status and things like that, you qualify for a spousal benefit. And I've seen, like I said, on multiple occasions where, where couples have given up, you know, a thousand dollars a month. And in both of those, you know, they were, they hadn't worked with an advisor by the time we, we caught it, they, you know, they came over to us and, and we saw they, I mean, had missed out on over a hundred thousand dollars, you know, it'd been like a decade. Now, when you file social security, they'll go back, they'll refund you for the last 12 months or so, but man, that's money that's just gone. And so and that's one I always like to point out is, is spousal benefits with social security, whether you're married currently, or even if, if you were married for 10 years and were, got a divorce and then even they pass away, you're still eligible and, and can take benefits sometimes as early as 60. If not, you can take them later. You can switch which benefit you're on. I mean, there's a lot of complexities there and you can't count on the social security office to, to catch all of those for you. Mm. And, and so, and so that's why it's good. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> you know i they they are they're good people okay and and, and but but man there's a lot of complexities a lot of things to to look through and so i think it's important you know to to make sure you're you're thinking through or, or at least talking to someone who can think through all of the different opportunities within social security because man that that's just heartbreaking right because these people are usually not the people that can afford to lose a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in retirement. And so social security is a big one. One one of the social security stories that, that we had seen at one point is the widow rule, right? Brandon is that, you know, if you, if you've been married for a certain amount of time and, and your spouse passes away, then, you know, you're eligible for social security benefits at age 60. um, If you meet certain criteria and, and we'd had um, somebody meet that or come close to that, and then when they were 59, they decided to get married, right? They fell in love again. And, and who are we to stand in the way of love? Matter of fact, I think we've had a podcast on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And, uh, 
anyhow, got married at 59. Had she waited till 60 to, to pull the pin on that, she'd have been entitled to a couple thousand dollars a month of additional social That's just what feels because we didn't know. We yeah. didn't, they yeah. they got to reach out. Why would you think to call your financial advisor because you're getting married? Yeah. Because I, it deals with a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> it deals with a dollar. We're involved in it one way or another. So, I had, I had yeah. one where she was married nine, nine years, like nine months. And the cutoff is 10 years to be eligible oh. for that benefit. And it's just one of those things where just delay the divorce paperwork for three months and, wow. and keep eligible. In this case, I don't think it made a huge difference, but man, it can. Yeah. I mean, that can mean the difference of $1,000 more per month for the rest of your life. Yeah. Okay. So this is one, I think this is sort of the next question or the next thing on the list here. And that is, what would make sense to me is that when you're young, in your 20s and 30s, call that young can happen in your forties and you start a job and you, you get a 401k and, but you don't ask for advice because, and sometimes they'll send in people to say, we have Susie here and she'll help you figure out your 401k needs or whatever, but you don't ask a, a financial professional or, or have the full picture of what it is that you want to do. And then you don't look at it again for 20 years and you've lost so much money because you were invested incorrectly. Dan, have you seen anything like that? Uh, yes, we've we've all seen uh, everything like that. You know, the key to the key to that, if you're in your 20s and you work for a company that has a five percent match, the, the the most important thing is that you're going to take five percent of your paycheck and put it into that 401k, so that when they match, you have a hundred percent return that year and every year going forward. And then the second thing is to make sure you invest it properly and diversify it properly. And that's where you get the help from a financial professional. Mm -hmm. But for sure, start early, save that money, and don't give up. If your company is a great company you're working for and they're matching whatever you put in the 401k, make sure you do enough to get that full match. That's mm -hmm. key. Okay. Rex? Yeah, I think, you know, we've all seen, like Dan said, we've all seen situations where people ask their their neighbor or, or their coworker about how should I invest? And, and you know, they're either significantly older, significantly younger, um, more aggressive, more conservative, and have had different life experiences that, that may shape or bias their their opinion on, on what you should do. And, and that doesn't always always match what's best for you. And so I think using an advisor to go through and look at how the 401ks are, are working, you know, both in and of themselves, but also in conjunction with your broader picture, with your overall asset allocation, I think is extremely important. I think the other thing I've seen on occasions on, on retirement plans like that is that that sometimes when people are changing their jobs, you know, we just did that podcast of the decade of your thirties is sometimes they don't take into account the, you know, the 401k match as a benefit and they may end up going to a different company that doesn't have a match. And they're thinking, you know, that the grass is greener when sometimes it's not. And sometimes, you know, the, the money that you're getting in benefits is just as important as the money that you're taking home in your wallet. And so I, I think that's important. I, I also think that that sometimes keeping things consolidated, we went through a, an example here recently where we were tracking down 
a pension, an old pension from 25, 30 years ago that a client had because they'd left it there and lost sight of it and forgotten about it. And, and all of a sudden they, they just offhanded mentioned something to us that I wonder if I have anything there. And so we dug into it and lo and behold, we found it and, and there was some money there um, that was theirs that, that we were able to track down and get over to them. And so if you don't keep things together and you know, then it's easy to lose sight of it and it's easy to forget about it 10 years from now. Rex, you mentioned that you may have taken more risks as you were younger. Um, but let's talk about taking too much risk. And usually you're more apt to do that when the going is good, right? So like the late nineties, um, we're sort of coming off of uh, most recently a bull market that ran for a long time. When you watch other people make a lot of money and you want to do what they're doing, you, you want to see those same returns. And so, um, you know, the, the market tells us over a certain amount of years that it would average a certain amount, but Jimmy down the road's making double that and has for 25 years. And so I want to invest in what, what that person's investing in Rex, what, how do you keep your clients sane in, in bull markets and in investing properly and not over risking their assets? It's, it's really difficult sometimes because, you know, People near market tops, whether it be the financial markets, real estate markets, you know, it, it, like you said, when everything is going good, people want to take more risk. And typically that's at the top of a market. And so, you know, we always kind of jokingly say that it's the, you know, give me some of that syndrome, right? And, and I want whatever doubled last year is what I want to buy a bunch of. And that's typically one of the more, you know, the, the poorer investments that you can make because you're buying high instead of of buying low. And I think Warren Buffett probably said, said it best of, you know, that, that I'm greedy when everybody else is fearful and I'm fearful when everybody else is greedy and, and people are greedy at the top and they're fearful at the bottom. And you want to, you know, in big picture, you want to kind of do the opposite of that. And I think the best way that we have to work with our clients is through showing examples and talking to them. And, and sometimes, you know, showing them charts and, and, and showing them pictures of, of what different markets have done during different times. Now, we do that, and every, every time it's slightly different, right? The facts and circumstances of this market top is different than the facts and circumstances of the market top in 07 and, and 99 and, and, you know, 86 and, and keep going back. At each time it's slightly different and what causes the market downturn each time is different, right? One time it might be oil um, embargoes. One time maybe a, a president is shot. One time it may be a, you know, real estate crash. And, and so the facts and circumstances are, are typically a little bit unique, but the patterns and the cycles tend to, to, you know, fairly commonly repeat themselves. Now, the highs may be different. The lows may be slightly different. The length of time may be slightly different. Um, but the general pattern is typically fairly similar over time. Okay. Well, and the opposite of that is not daring to take any risk. Uh, so, Dan, how do you convince people to invest or take a little bit of risk to earn a, a you know a decent return? Well, it's it's a process. It is a process. Let me tell you something that I think is really, actually, you know, because it's 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 kind of comical actually, but. Over 40 years now, as I've been doing this, I can't tell you how many times 
I've had somebody say to me, and this is how they start out their sentence. My brother-in-law, <laughs> yeah. my barber, right, right, or right. my dentist, or, you know, this is what they're doing. And, and when you said something like Jimmy down the road is, has gotten 25% uh, per year, usually Jimmy's not telling you the whole story. Sure. I've noticed that over the years. So, so. Um, keep in mind that you, we all have great brother-in-laws, we all have great dentists, we all have great barbers, but usually, usually they're not uh, financial experts. And usually by the time they tell you about something, you're right within 10% of the talk. And so be careful with that. Proper diversification, it really is uh, uh, important to buy low and sell high. But by diversifying in, in a good portfolio and having a financial plan in place to determine what that portfolio should be based on your own investment objectives, not Jimmy's, not your brother-in-law's, not anybody else's, but what are my risk tolerances and what are my investment objectives and get a, a, an advisor to help you. And this team, uh, Rex and Brandon, they do a great job at, at that. And that's the key uh, to investments going forward, I think. So then with that said, Brandon, how does having a financial plan help prevent uh, mistakes in the, in the future, financial mistakes? Yeah. Financial plans, the best built portfolios are built on a good financial plan. Mm. Um, and, and the purpose of that is because in uh, everyone's needs are different from your portfolio. And, and I get that all that, you know, people know I'm a financial advisor and they'll come up and say, Hey, Brandon, what should I be doing? You know, what would you do if, and, and the answer, and you'll appreciate this is it depends, it depends. right? Like, yeah, yeah, like what's, yeah. what's your time frame? You know, when, when do you need this money? And, and then when, when you start to need the money, how much are we going to start pulling on the portfolio? Yeah. Right. All of those things. I mean, that is key and fundamental to building a portfolio because whether the markets are up or whether they're down, we can't predict perfectly what's going to happen going forward, mm -hmm. right? You just, you cannot, you cannot tell what's going to happen. And so you have to build a portfolio that's going to be able to capitalize on, on market upswings and, and, you know, compensate for inflation, compensate for all those other pieces while also having enough in, in safer assets <clears throat> that, that will be able to make it through a downturn that will be able to, you know, <clears throat> distribute money without hemorrhaging. And so the answer is it depends, but a financial plan allows us to back into that and say, all right, here are the assets we have. Here's what we're living on today. If we retire in five years or in four years and we've got social security offset this, how much do we need to pull from this portfolio? And then from there, we can determine how aggressive to be. We can also look at various rates of return. Do we, you know, are we comfortable going for higher rates of return and taking more risk, having more ups and downs? Or, or does that make us nervous and do we need to be a little bit more conservative? Um, obviously, right now, you know, when we're in these term, tumultuous um, markets, clients will say, well, I don't want to ride this in, you know, I don't want to ride this out anymore. And so the obvious question becomes, well, okay, then what's, what's our retirement plan, right? Do we want to change our retirement assumptions to where we're only going to get CD rates and assume a 2% rate of return or, or whatever the, you know, long-term average is going to be. And if that doesn't work, you know, we can't have a plan where every time the market crashes, we sell out at the bottom move to cash in time to, you know, miss the upside. And so yeah. planning really is foundational to understanding how to invest a good portfolio. 
Rex, I didn't think about this, but I guess you guys do get asked questions from everybody, you know, or everyone who finds out that you're a financial planner. And so, you know, how often has someone come up to you and said, I'm thinking about doing this and you're just like, um, you're not a client, but that's a really bad idea. <laughs> Frequently. <laughs> oh, wow. I, didn't you know, know. <laughs> I, I, was, I was golfing yesterday um, for a few minutes and, uh, and, and two things, you two things kind of, you are, but yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So two, two, two questions came up. Um, I, I mean, a lot of other questions came up like Rex, why do you golf? But, um, <laughs> but two financial questions came up and, and one was uh, Rex, I just bought ABC stock. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question, right? Because I have no idea what else you own. I have no idea how that fits into your portfolio. I have no idea, you know, anything, anything about your planning or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so, and so those are tough questions to answer. It's, it's just like, well, I don't know, you know, it might be a good stock, might be a bad stock. It might fit into your plan. It might not fit into your plan. Um, so I'm so that assuming was they really don't like that answer. <laughs> no, they, they want, yeah. well, one, they want validation, right? Number right, one, right. they're seeking validation. Yeah. They want to know that, you know, the stock that, that they bought was the right stock. At the, the greatest right stock ever. You are my hero. <laughs> right. I'm going to come to you for financial advice from now on. That's right. what you're supposed exactly. to say. Exactly. Yep. You should just keep doing it on your own. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so that, that, that was the one, that was one of them. The, the other one was kind of an admission of, you know, Rex, I, I made a couple of poor financial choices late in life and now I'm starting a business. I'm having to start a business. Um, and in, in my, you know, in this case, it was in my mid sixties and, you know, what do you think of that? And, and again, it comes down to, I don't know, without looking at all your financial numbers to see, you know, what your, your plan looks like, how much you're going to spend on this adventure, um, you know, what's, what's the outlook, outlook going to be? It's, it's hard to say. And so typically those, those are the kinds of questions we're getting um, when we're just out in the public and, and it's such a small piece and, and we're not a pushy group. And so, you know, typically we'll say, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to take a look at that. If you want to, you know, if you want to talk, I'll, I'm happy to give you a call or, or reach out to you and we can kind of go through it. Um, and, and then we can look at it and, and see what you really think. But, but most of the time they're looking for validation that their idea is the greatest idea since sliced bread. So. Yeah. Brandon, I was going to say, Brandon, early in my career, uh, I used to get these questions all the time and, and um, you, you, as an advisor, you try and be an advisor, you know, and that's hard when you don't nothing, know nothing about the history and, you know, anything about the investment objectives of that particular client, you know, like 10 years ago, I would, I would just pass it off as, well, it's just a question. It's just a question and move on. The last couple of years, I've, I've often with friends that have asked me that I've often looked them straight in the eye and said, I can't believe you did that. That's a piece of crap stock. And then walk away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then walk away and exactly. then, yeah. I mean, Interesting to see how how they change. Hey, Dan, Dan, Dan. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, you know. Yeah, I like it. I'm with you, Dan. I just keep doing that. <laughs> That's yeah. a good strategy. <laughs> I, I, I like would, it, Dan. 
I'm I was glad gonna... you shared that. I may have to try that once. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll do a podcast on it. We'll just do that every time someone. Yeah. Just kidding. For next month. I, I was going to add, so because we get those questions and, and I like to lean on research and, and at any given time for most stocks, we can actually pull up, you know, three independent reports that each report had a team of analysts on it. They're looking at the fundamentals. They're looking at the patterns. They're looking at the insider trade. I mean, they're looking at everything on these stocks. And it's funny because we'll pull up these reports usually all run within the last few days. And any one stock can have one set of analysts saying this is a buy or, and then a whole another set will say, no, this is a sell, right? Like, like oh, people, like hundred percent. Yeah. The, I'll watch the financial news and they'll have two, two guests on in literally at the same time. Right. And they'll bring up a stock example right. and they'll say, all right, are you buying Tesla? And the one will say, yeah, I think it's at a good buy-in rate right now. And another one will say no. And here's right. why. And so if your friend buys a whole bunch of Tesla and they come to you and they say, Hey, I just bought a, how are you supposed to answer that? Right. And it ultimately comes into how, how are you building a portfolio? Understand you have to know what you know. And it's also important to know what you don't know. And that's where people get uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable for us to not to understand every piece of our portfolio. And so understanding that we can't predict the future, we can't predict predict the future of any individual company therefore we're going to diversify we're, we're and and we're going to have it in several different sectors right there, there's strategy behind that but we're not going to try to like predict who's going to come up with the newest nicest electric car or plane or whatever it is and 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 understand just invest based on what we know and 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 that works so much better than the speculation but the speculation feels better because because you get in your head you're like this is what's going to happen with this stock and yeah. and you just think it's going to take off and so but, I don't know. but that's one of the biggest mistakes we see right is that is that all of a sudden grandma hits a home run on a stock she buys it it goes up a bunch and then all of a sudden they think that they're they're an investment guru and they confuse a bull market or, or some, some market event that in, impacted the stock, they confuse that with, with actual investment knowledge and an investment strategy. And, and so what happens on the second one is lots of times then, then they get really daring and they put a lot of money into, into their next hunch and they buy a bunch and it goes down a lot and it eats their lunch. And so Anyhow, that's that's something that that that's a big mistake that we see a lot of. So was that alliteration? That was that was yeah, hunch that was bunch hunch bunch. Yeah, he did really. Did did you have more numbers? I forgot to get some you more bet. numbers on this. You bet. Yeah, let's do it. some more numbers, and then when we come back, I have the I have breaking news: the biggest financial mistake you can make. For that one, yeah. <laughs> uh, so since 1982, the U.S. population has grown by almost 45 percent. Since when? 1982. Wow, 45. Yeah. That's a lot more people. Yeah, you know. And right now, we don't know how many people are here. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot. Yeah. Um, in that same in that same time frame, um, homes for sale internet again i was looking yeah, stay um, with us here for a yeah hey yep. come on internet i was look. i mean home sales home listings are down quite a bit right this second yeah right? yeah yeah, yeah right. they're, they're done a lot and so and i don't know that there's you know good bad or but it is it's it's that's what's making it hard is mm -hmm. is you have way more people 
all bidding on far fewer homes and then you have the interest rates that throw it off and and so anyway I, I, it is a it's it's a complex issue so, so i think we may have lost the last the you left us on a cliff Brandon. oh I did? oh the, yeah so total u.s population has grown by almost 45 percent and then what was the second half of that Oh, go ahead, Brandon. In that same time frame, available homes for sale have declined by almost half. FactSet mm. did that research and, and put a chart together. So, I mean, just that it just illustrates why why is so our housing market is in a really hard place. And when you have that much more population and yet so many fewer homes for sale, that that makes it that makes it tough. And and this isn't a new. I mean, you you go back. You know, really, the last time it was kind of in check was more, you know, two thousand eight time frame right yeah. but, but in the last- have you guys seen are builders making money a, a lot of them have, have slowed down and are starting to kind of rein it in on the building a little bit a lot of them are a little bit nervous with higher interest rates to see what that is and and that's that's kind of a continuation from 2008 that it took them a couple of years to really start building and then they were just building you know one or two or a couple of homes at a time and, and they kind of have kept that for quite a while. And, and now they may be cutting back on a home or two even um, as far as starting right. it to kind of see where this economy goes. Just but Brandon's stat though, I mean, you would think like uh, that's a good opportunity to, to build a lot of homes because it seems like there's a need. Yeah, and there is, but with financing, I mean, that yeah. if, if people can't afford to buy the house, that throws, you know, and, but I think I'd also use that stat to understand there's likely a very good pent up demand. Mm-hmm. That, that isn't just going to be solved. And so, yeah, this interest rate, you know, adjustment, that, that's going to make it hard to buy homes. But but getting back kind of to our, our 30s podcast, it, it's a good idea to buy a home when you can afford it, yeah. because I don't know that affordability gets gets much better you know, down, down the road, maybe when interest rates come down. But when interest rates come down, you tend to see house prices jump back up. Yeah. Okay, so I have the secret. The biggest oh. mistake that people can make with their money is correct me if I'm wrong, financial planners, <laughs> not having a plan, like not having a plan. If you don't have a plan, um, you're going to make mistakes. Rex. Brandon, you're so close to nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> so close. I can't believe uh, you get down to the uh, one yard line. Of I was like right here. Yeah. The we're so close. Oh. The biggest mistake people can make, financially is not talking to a financial planner. well that's what i meant you gotta have a plan <laughs> but in order to have a plan you gotta <laughs> talk to a financial planner yeah in our opinion so, of in our in our humble, <laughs> in our opinion yeah, our in humble, our humble opinion. unbiased but really opinion. i mean if you don't i mean the same with goals or same with anything in life you don't have a plan then you're just wandering around but but if you don't have a plan, then you're spending money and you don't know where it goes. Or any, even if you're still putting 10, 15% away, but it's just going in savings, you don't have a plan, you're losing money. So, so Dan, what's the best way to start a plan? Get with somebody that you trust. Um, this team, the, we have great, uh, great tools to help anybody that has an interest in saying, okay, I want to have a plan for my life. I've got 20 years or 30 years or even 40 years to save this money, to prepare for retirement and leave a legacy to my kids, my grandkids and great grandkids. And so you, you get started that way. you got to find somebody you trust. I want to go back for a second to the, the brokercheck.org 
um, I, I can't tell you how important it is that you get with a person that's reputable, that, that hasn't got a whole bunch of client complaints against them, that hasn't taken out bankruptcy themselves as financial advisors. Believe me, there's guys out there that are financial advisors that have taken out bankruptcy themselves, uh, which doesn't seem right to me. Um, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't have, you should be able to go in there and look at that record because there is a full record. Uh, and you can tell real quickly if that's someone that's got 10, 11, and believe it or not, I was trying to, as I, before I hired people in, in the business and bring them from another firm to our firm, when I was a manager, I would always look at their record. And there was one person in Utah that has 11 complaints from 11 different clients. Shocking. Believe it or not, I didn't make that call. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you need to, you need to, you need to make sure you can trust the person. And by, by checking out the history of that particular advisor, you have a little better trust. That's all public information then at that website? It's just a website. Yep. And, www. And you can check, check mine. You can check Rex's and Brandon's. Uh, any advisor that you know, brokercheck.org. Brandon, how much money can I lose by not having a plan? <laughs> all of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it goes back to those examples we were sharing, right? Of, of people who leave a 401k or an IRA sitting in cash for decades and coming back and realizing it could have been double or triple, yeah. uh, missing out on a social security strategy, just completely missing a benefit, um, you know, selling at the bottom. The, it really... There are, there's a lot, you know, that you can do. And, and, and most of those mistakes could be solved by just simply asking the question. If all it takes is a conversation with someone that can ask you the question and, and most times people kind of can get through it, right. And can answer that question. But, but unfortunately, most of the, most of the mistakes are just because people didn't know to ask the question in the first place. And so that's probably the biggest one is just ask, talk to someone who can, probe for questions and, yeah yeah rex you're a pretty positive guy um if someone made all the mistakes their whole life and they're approaching retirement and you're going to tell me there's always still time how do you know that how do you know someone can come back from making all the mistakes and just like you know what there's still something we can do for you well we'd we'd put our arm around them right and <laughs> and, and we would comfort them and and give, a, and give, a, give a bro hug. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> give a bro hug. Um, you know, I, I think even though we say that you can recover from everything, it, it may not be a hundred percent recoverable, right? You may, yeah. Yeah. if you make certain mistakes, you may not get back a hundred percent to where you want it to be as far as on track. And so I think it's important that, that we look at that. And, and again, you'll have choices. If you're planning on retiring at 65 and, and something happened and, and blew up, you know, you went through a, a divorce that kind of blew up your finances or you changed jobs in your early 60s that, that was a little bit costly and had to move and relocate, you know, then, then we probably need to look at those numbers and see what that looks like. And does that mean we can still retire at 65 or does it mean we need to push through to 66 or 67? Or does it mean instead of spending $5,000 a month, we spend 4,500 or, or, or whatever the, you know, whatever those, those questions are, it, again, you know, it's running through the scenarios, running through 
the variability of returns and seeing what impact they may have. Does it mean we get more aggressive at that point to see if we can get there? Understanding the risks are that if we're wrong and you're more aggressive, that it could handicap you further, right? And is that a risk you're comfortable taking? But going through that with somebody and, and going through it with, with a partner, I think is a lot better than trying to, to go through that alone. And, and, you know, I, I, there's a lot of studies that show that if you go through, you know, active financial planning and active goal setting and, and things like that, that you're, you're a lot more likely to hit your goals and to be able to achieve those goals than if you don't. And so I, I think we're just trying to put the probabilities in your favor and trying to help you down the path and share our experiences and knowledge and wisdom with you. Uh, Dan, Rex, Brandon, thanks so much for your time and sharing some of the mistakes that you've seen in the financial industry over the time that you've been in it. Uh, if you haven't already and you're listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, I highly suggest that you do so that you could see our wonderful, beautiful faces on our YouTube channel. It is Through the Pines on YouTube. Uh, that is it for this episode of Through the Pines. We'll see you on the next one where we will remind you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.